When I was in college, I had a friend who was studying in London. So I had the opportunity, the incredible opportunity, to spend eight days in London. And I was thrilled because I love history, and I was studying to be a pastor. So there were so many things about theology and history to see in London. And as my uh, guest was planning the trip, he informed me on this particular day that we were going to see the matinee of a musical. At this point in my life, the only musical I'd ever seen was at my school, my high school, or at my church, where the musical at my church was such that the usher on this Sunday, seven days later, was Jesus on the cross. It wasn't exactly the most inspiring art you've ever seen. And so the thought of going to a musical just did not appeal to me, especially when he told me it cost money to go to a musical. And so he knew that I had religious interests, and he said, Aaron, I really think that uh, there are some Christian themes that you will find enjoyable in this particular musical. I'd never heard of it before. It was Les Mis. Now, a lot of you are familiar with this musical because it was a movie here in the last two or three years. So I went begrudgingly to this particular uh, musical, not having high expectations, uh, not wishing I had not spent my money. And as I sat there and watched this production, it gripped my heart. It came totally unexpectedly and impacted me emotionally in a very, very significant way. In this story, some of you may know, there was a prisoner who was released named John Valjean, and he was on the run, and he was shown kindness by a priest. But even though the priest showed him kindness, he stole silver from this priest. The police caught him. And in the story, the police reminded me a lot of myself. The police officer was one who only cared about rules, did not care about motivation, only cared about upholding the standard. And he returned Jean Valjean to the priest. And the priest had all the power and all the authority and the right to condemn this man to prison once again. But what he said, he said, yes, you took the silver, but you forgot the candlesticks as well. And these candlesticks were enough for the escaped prisoner to restart his life. Once the police officer left, the priest told Jean Valjean, he said, I have purchased your life for God. This came about through music, and I was shocked, I was surprised, and I was moved. And as I entered into my 20s and began to pastor, be a youth pastor and a staff pastor, this story stuck with me. Because there were a lot of times that I had the authority or the power or the advantage to uh, crush somebody with information or to apply rules or authority in such a way that it would condemn a person. But this story was in my mind, and this story, often as I carried it with me, caused me to respond with grace, with mercy, and with a redemptive attitude. As the years went on, I learned that Victor Hugo, who wrote the novel that became the musical, actually was protesting the church. He felt like the church was, was 
not giving enough attention to the poor. And so his work of art as a novel, and then as it turned into a musical by others, was there as a protest against the church. And as time went on, it spoke to my cold heart in the area of grace. You see, art has the ability to speak to our heart when knowledge hasn't gotten there. Well, today is the last week of the series, Jesus Changes Everything. We've done nine of these sermons, and I've enjoyed sharing with them, uh, sharing them with you very much. I want to give a last shout out to John Ortberg, whose wonderful book inspired this, the book, Who Is This Man? And a lot of the stories came from this, not all of them, but it's a great book for you to pick up. And we're going to conclude this series with this, Jesus Inspires Art. Jesus inspires art. And so the question comes, what is art? I mean, a lot of people have been asking that for for the longest time in different cultures. What exactly is art? Well, the most simple definition, let's go with this. Art equals inspiration. Art is that which inspires the heart. Knowledge informs the mind. Knowledge gives us information. But there's something about art that moves the soul that moves our motivations, that inspires us. And we all need inspiration. And inspiration does not come from within. That is a a false teaching, a false belief, a a false humanistic perspective that we have been trained to believe, that I'm going to find inspiration from within. The truth is, inspiration comes from without. In fact, in every language... The word inspiration means an outside force breathing life into something. And so it is that the word of God is inspired, breathed of God, and it breathes life into us. And so it is inspiration. Inspiration is something beyond us, something outside of us that breathes life into us. And Jesus was one who inspired And the followers of Jesus uh, saw his vision of the kingdom of God that was so strong, was so effective, was so meaningful that for centuries now, people have been expressing through art how Jesus has inspired them. And we could talk, we could talk all afternoon about all of the great works of art, music, different expressions that have come because of Jesus Christ. His followers have been inspired. His followers have been inspiring. And they have been sharing their gift with the world. So it is today. Guys, I want you to see today that art is not something that opposes faith. Art is not something that is competing against our devotion to Jesus Christ. Art is something that God has used and will use to inspire us. And then he'll use the creative, artistic side of us to inspire others. That's the way the kingdom of God works. So we start in Matthew chapter 17. And my first observation today is this, is that our inspiration is our fuel. Inspiration is our fuel. And we're going to spend some time in Matthew 17. And we're going to use Matthew 17 as a metaphor. So for those of you who are 
very theologically astute. Don't beat me up today. I'm, I'm telling you up front that I'm using this as a metaphor today of what inspiration, where it comes from, and how it can apply to our lives and how it can mean something to us. What is it about us that longs for a political leader who, who will lift our vision of moral clarity higher? What is it about us that we, we want to hear a motivational speaker cause us to have a better attitude and, and to be more passionate about the things we care about? What is it about us that wants to hear music that elevates us or to see movies or cinema that makes us think and causes us to respond in an emotional way and improve our life perspective? We long for inspiration. And I want you to realize this, that God has made you to be a person to be inspired. And if God's made you to be a person in which you are to receive inspiration, then he's also made you a, a person to give inspiration. And so it is in, in Matthew 17, we see the story of Peter, James, and John. And you can read verse 1 with me. It says, after six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and his brother John and led them up on a high mountain by themselves. How many in here love going to the mountains? Either y'all weren't listening to me or, uh, or we don't have many mountain people. I'm from Texas, where in North Texas, we've taken a bunch of ranch land and made it this metroplex. So I love the mountains. And as I drive down 386 back towards Madison, and, and we come kind of to Center Point or, or to Conference Drive, excuse me, that's a mountain to me. I mean, I'm looking over there going, wow, look how high we are. Even after all these years of living here, I still feel that way. And there's something inspiring about a mountain. And this can be anything to you. But I want us to use this language to talk about the place of inspiration. And Jesus has a place of inspiration for you. There is a place where you get inspired, where his spirit breathes life into you. And it's different for every person. There may be common interests, but each person is uniquely created. And I, I think this, I know this from personal experience, that Jesus has a place for you of inspiration. And sometimes it can be a physical place. And there's just some places we go that causes our heart to come alive. Maybe a vacation spot. It may be a childhood home. There's also a place, a place metaphorically that we go to be with the Lord, the mountain of the Lord. And there's nothing greater than personal devotions. Spending regular time in scripture. Spending regular time in meditation and listening to God and talking to God. What a privilege we have to know the Holy Spirit. What a privilege it is that the Holy Spirit can take our vehicles, take our office cubicles, take our lawnmowers, uh, take our bedrooms, and turn them into a place where God meets man. He takes us to the mountain, and we meet with the Lord on the mountain. It's a place of inspiration. It's a place where God can speak to us. And I want you to understand this, that it takes careful construction of your life to be on the mountaintop on a regular basis. And you need to go there. 
I have structured my life. I won't bore you with the details, but if you ever want to hear it over coffee or something, we can. I have structured my daily schedule and my weekly schedule and my yearly customs so that I could be optimally motivated. I come on Sunday mornings and through trial and error and experience, and now I'm getting some years behind me as a pastor, it's my goal, it's my desire to be at an optimal place emotionally and inspirationally on Sunday mornings when I share my gift. A lot of you make that possible because there's no way a pastor can carry the whole load of a church. So those of you who volunteer to clean, volunteer to mow, take care of kids, you're, you're, part, you're a partner with me on that. And thank you for that. So, so it is that we have to construct our lives to be at a place where we're emotionally at an optimal place. And we go on the mountaintop with the Lord. And it's there that Satan wants to keep us from that place. Satan wants to keep us busy with things that don't matter. Satan wants to keep us distracted. The enemy wants to keep us in a low place. In a low place emotionally. In a low place spiritually. Because he knows that when we go up to the mountain, that we're going to meet the Lord there. You see, inspiration does not come from within. Inspiration always comes from an outside source. And as believers, we know that that source is not some kind of mystical, unnamed source, some unnamed energy. It is the Lord our God, the Lord who is known, the Lord who has made his name known, the Lord who has revealed himself, a very specific God with a very real personality. And he wants to invade our lives. He wants to invade our lives with inspiration. He wants to breathe his spirit into our lives. And so it is that on the mountaintop, we see the Lord. And that leads us to my second point here, is that inspiration comes from time with Jesus. That's where inspiration comes from. Look at verse 2. Verse 2. He said, he was transformed in front of them, and his face shone like the sun. Now, the actual meaning of this is the Shekinah glory of God. Jesus reflected God. Jesus, who was fully man and fully God, he reflected God. And that reflection was so powerful that he actually radiated God on his face. Because none of us could see God. We cannot see his glory and survive. But Jesus reflects his glory But as we're using this scripture also today as a metaphor, we know this is that the the, the shine on a person often is associated in our culture with inspiration. Think about cartoons we watched as kids. What would happen when a cartoon character had an idea? What would flash over his head? A light bulb. There is something we, we say that light is associated with inspiration. When someone is in love, we've often said, they're glowing. They're so in love that they're glowing. You know, researchers have actually proven that when a person is in love, that there is more of a blood flow to their skin. And so they actually radiate because they're inspired by romance and they're inspired by love. On the mountaintop, Peter, James, and John had... A great experience with Jesus. They were inspired. 
They were inspired by an outside source. They were inspired by something beyond themselves. And we read on, verse 3 says, Suddenly Moses and Elijah appeared to them, talking with him. And then Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it's good for us to be here. If you want, I will make three tabernacles here, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. And while he was still speaking, suddenly a bright cloud covered them, and a voice from the cloud said, This is my beloved son. I take delight in him, listen to him. And when the disciples heard it, they fell face down and were terrified. And then Jesus came up, touched them, and said, Get up, don't be afraid. At the end of our inspiration, there's always Jesus. I mean, he's it at the end. He's it at the end. But time with Jesus as believers is where we get his characteristics. It's where we get Jesus' commands. It's where we get Jesus' personality to rub off on us. And it is the inspiration that we receive that is also the inspiration that we give. And Jesus is completely good. And in Jesus, there's complete goodness. And the scripture tells us that whatever is good, whatever is lovely, whatever is noble, whatever is pure, think upon these things. And to me, that is what art is. Art brings us to the beauty of creation. Art brings us to the beauty of the human being who's reflected in God's image. Art brings us to something that is inspiring, something that moves our emotions, that moves our heart, something that causes, um, causes life to well up in, within us. And so it leads us to Jesus and it leads us to Christ. It leads us to that place where we know that life is not just mundane. I mean, we're not just putting in our time. We're not just putting in our gears. We're not just raising these brats, hoping they succeed someday. We're inspired as those who are called to parent and grandparent and to be, be uncles and aunts. Our job is not just something we do to pass the time. We're creators. And every time we meet with a client, every time that we try to sell the product our boss has asked us to sell, every time that we try to organize, organize our department better, this is not simply passing the time. This is our work of art. We're taking that which is out of order and placing order to it. We're we're taking that product that someone doesn't know they need and we're exposing them to that need. We're organizing. We're selling. We're creating. We are walking in the image of God. And our work is our art. That's the blessing of the Lord. Sin wants to take the blessing of our work away. But God wants to redeem our work. And so it is that inside of you, you have the capacity, you have the ability to be inspired. So therefore, you are an inspiration. You are a giver. You are a one who God is breathing on. And through that breath, you are breathing on others. Jesus was one who inspired. He went to a cheat named Zacchaeus. And he inspired Zacchaeus to sell everything he had. To follow him. He went to a Samaritan woman and who was despised and perhaps we don't know, but not well thought of. And he turned her into an evangelist who impacted a whole community. He called Peter, 
to step out of his boat and to walk upon water and cause Peter to do something that in the natural was foolish and unthinkable, unscientific, and was completely irrational. But he inspired Peter to get out of the boat and to walk on the water. He inspired four men who were friends with a paralytic to take that man who was paralyzed, to put him on a roof, to knock a hole in the roof, and to lower that man to see Jesus. Jesus inspired a woman who had been bleeding for 12 years, who had no solution through the medical experts. He caused that woman to press through the crowd so that she could just grab grab the edge of Jesus' robe and by that receive her healing. He did that over and over again. And the inspiration has not stopped. He has inspired politicians. He's inspired songwriters. He has inspired poets. He has inspired theologians. He has inspired teachers. He has inspired horticulturists who design gardens. He has designed those in the academic world, in the business world. He's, in, he's inspired farmers. He's inspired every person who understands his heart. Jesus was one who inspired. His life was an art, and he's called our life to be the same. He's called our life to live not just out of the intellect. And as you know from previous sermons, that's important to me, and God uses that. But to live out of the heart, and to live out of the emotions, and to live out of the inspiration that comes by his Spirit. So it was that centuries after centuries, people have followed the inspiration of Jesus and have created art that has changed the world. But unlike today, we use the term artist, and that's an interesting term to use today on this country music festival week or whatever they call it now, fanfare, that's what I still call it, but CMA festival week. Uh, the term artist is used uh, as, as something to aspire to, to receive praise and to receive accolades and to receive money and to receive power. But with Jesus, it's not about that. Jesus calls us to be artists and calls us to inspire because, my last point is this, because kingdom work. Inspiration leads to kingdom work. Going back to Matthew 17, we go to verse 9, and we see this, that as they were coming down from the mountain, they didn't stay at the place of inspiration. They went to the place of inspiration, but they went back to the valley for a reason. And we see that in verse 14. Verse 14, it says this, when they reached the crowd, a man approached and knelt down before him. Lord, he said, have mercy on my son because he has seizures and suffers severely. He often falls in the fire and often in the water. Jesus uses this as a moment to teach. And then we get to verse 18. Then Jesus rebuked the demon and it came out of him. And from that moment, the boy was healed. Here it is. Our call is not to be artists and not to give inspiration to receive glory to ourselves. But it's so those who are captive can be made free. So those who are blind, they will see again. So that those who are sick will be healed. So that those who are in the kingdom of darkness will be brought into the kingdom of light. We go to the mountaintop with Jesus and we see his glory and we receive his inspiration, but we go back to the valley to do the kingdom work. 
and to show people God. That's what we're called to do. There was a little girl who was drawing a picture. And an adult came to her and said, what is that that you're drawing? The little girl said, I am drawing a picture of God. The adult responded, well, you can't do that because nobody's ever seen God. The little girl picked up her piece of paper and said, they will when I'm done drawing this. That is what our lives do. We may have just some old crayons and an old piece of paper, but when we draw to show the world what, who God is, God uses our feeble gifts and he uses it, them for his purpose and his ability. So you have a work of art. You have a work of art that's, that's, that's great. For me, part of, one of the, part of my art is preaching. I don't just, you know, swing from the hip. We, we think about these sermons. And so it is that people help me design the logos and they design the bumper video and we work on the stories because we want you to come and we want you to be inspired here. Inspiration is Sherry Morrow's cooking. That is your art, Sherry. Because if you've never had Sherry's cooking, I mean, it's like meeting God when you, when you eat the stuff she cooks. But do you know that the stuff that she cooks facilitates relationships? It facilitates conversation. It facilitates dialogue. And God is blessed through your art. I've often gone to Tommy Holliden's 242 group. And Tommy has this way of taking a group of 30-somethings who are just talking crazy and, and just enjoying fellowship. And he kind of calls us in. He says, hey, let's, let's talk for a minute. Let me ask you a couple of questions. And he kind of goes around the mountain. And the next thing you know, you're in a deep discussion of God's truths. And that, that's a work of art, what Tommy does. It's his gift. It's, it's how he inspires others and we're inspired by that. It's not his only gift. It's not Sherry's only gift. It's not my only gift. But but you have a gift. Those of you who are teachers, can I tell you that when you stand before your class and you take a subject your kids need to understand your students that they have no interest in, in learning, but you make it interesting and, and you're consistent and you're faithful. Teaching is your work of art. You are an artist. You are one who receives inspiration. And by God's power, you give inspiration back. And so it is that when we gather here as a church body, what we do is inspiring. From the lawn that's being mowed, to our volunteers who clean the church, to those who are taking care of children, to our ushers, to our musicians, to to those who are maintaining the air conditioners, to those who are greeting and welcoming people in the name of Jesus. We together are presenting art. We are inspiring people to know that the name of our God is great and greatly to be praised. That's what God's called us to do. So it is, whatever you put your hands to, the garden that you cultivate, the poem that you may write, the blog that you type out, the, 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 the Twitter and the Facebook posts that you give, It's art unto the Lord. It has incredible capacity to inspire people to love the Lord, their God, in a greater way. Is that not 
a good thing to know? Listen, Satan wants to minimize your life. He wants you to think your life doesn't count. Your life's not significant. He wants you to think that that what you do doesn't make an impact compared to someone else. Nonsense. Your life is great because God has made it great. And he has chosen you to be alive in this era, in this time, in this place for a distinct reason. Because he's using you for his purpose. He's using you for his glory. He's using you to inspire. And your life is a work of art that pleases the Lord. Amen. I want you to join me in prayer. I'm going to invite our ushers to begin to prepare communion. I want us to begin to prepare our hearts. In just a moment, we're going to pass out communion. And and let me just talk to you. You can look at me or you can pray, whichever one. It doesn't matter. In just a couple minutes, we're going to take communion. And I'm going to ask you to hold the bread and hold the cup. And then we'll take it together. You don't have to take communion. You can let it pass if you choose, and there's lots of reasons why people will do that. But if you do choose to take communion, before we eat the bread, before we drink the cup, we will all pray together. And we will make sure that we're 100% right with God. And that happens because of the work of Jesus on the cross and his resurrection power. You see, art is something that, that takes the ordinary that takes the normal, that takes that which is by itself nothing, and it inspires. And so it is. Art takes vocal cords and the sounds that come through the vocal cords and makes it music. And it takes instruments of steel or wood, and it causes a beautiful sound to come out. And art takes a blank canvas and oils and paint, and something beautiful happens. And art takes different ingredients that come together to make food and something that's great, delicious to eat. And art takes that which is disorganized, organizations that that have no order to them. And organization is an art. And I'm just going to, I'm going to hit on that one more time. I, I want some of you who are gifted administratively and gifted to organize, you have been wrongly told that that is opposed to the Spirit's work. And that is simply not the case. Organization and administration opens the door for the freedom of the Spirit. It opens the door. And so God will use your administrative gifts so that the Spirit can freely move and freely inspire. So don't think that your gifts of administration oppose God's work. Nonsense. But God takes these ordinary things and he makes them great. And that's what he does with the bread and the cup. We have to have food. We have to have drink. It's very ordinary. It's very common. And Jesus himself said, when you eat the bread and drink the cup, remember me. There's power in this symbolic act. There's power in the resurrection and the coming of Christ. And so we will remember and celebrate and proclaim today.